I think there's lessons we can learn on how we can bring sort of our fight against big tobacco into this similar fight against so a lot of these car-centric policies that we have and really be able to bring public health into our built environment, into our built infrastructure. We have to start moving the conversation of policy into this direction about looking at bike lanes as a public mm -hmm. health issue, right? Making sure I can get to my bus stop, I can get to my grocery store without being hit by a car. These are all public health issues. And I think we need to continually push that conversation so that elected officials, policymakers start seeing it in that lens. In Los Angeles, the top killer of our elementary and middle school kids are car crashes. It's ridiculous. When I see an eight, 10 year old kid riding a bike, taking the lane on say Lincoln Boulevard or something. I don't know, that sounds scary to me, but I guess you're saying that's possible with Cycling Savvy. I'm showing that it's possible to hundreds of motorists every time I get on my bicycle and you could do the same thing. I was born and raised in LA. After doing this for almost all my life, it starts to get tiring to have to always look back at a driver and smile at them or wave at somebody and you know do all this stuff just so I can ride a bicycle to the store. We find some of the weirdest bike repairs and thoughts and then we just post it. If we just make it seem as ridiculous and hilarious and comedic as possible, that'll get the hammer in the wood, so to speak. <laughs> I hear ringing. What would happen? What was it? Was it me? I think he has microphone problems. I think I got my sound working now. Y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah. How are you doing? Getting by. <laughs> I went out for a walk. That's why I'm outside right now. So I apologize it's loud. You went for a walk. How apropos, yeah. Is that why you're the executive director of LA Walks? Because you are a, a huge pedestrian? That's one of the reasons I would say so. Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, I mean, definitely. I, I feel like everyone is a pedestrian in a way here in Los Angeles. But, but definitely I walked from Korea. I don't know how much of LA you know, but I walked from Koreatown to downtown LA, which is a bit of a walk, but it was definitely doable. So That's very good. It feels authentic. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah for, for now it does, yeah. Maybe more the real reason that you're the executive director is you had a lot of success organizing. And do you want to talk about your what your past? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, previous to coming at Los Angeles Walks, my work was actually with the American Lung Association. So for about two and a half years, I was like neck deep in doing organizing work around tobacco. But to be more specific, I was neck deep organizing tobacco using California's uh, tobacco tax funds. I don't know how many folks know, but in uh, I think 1992 and then in 2016, California passed a tobacco tax. Uh, first it was, I think, 10 cents and the second tax was $2. And so a lot of the revenue that came in from the tobacco tax, a big chunk, millions and millions of dollars actually went to community groups to do tobacco education uh, and to really pass local city ordinances to, uh, combating tobacco. And so for me, it was like a real sort of amazing experience to see this, uh, the, the state seeing a public health crisis and then actually putting money behind it and really going into the grassroots level uh, on the community ground level to really talk about tobacco as a public health issue. And so I, I really got to experience that program. I think it's one of the more, one of the most progressive tobacco control programs I think our state has compared to other states. And I would dare say even in the world. So I think that's something that we should be super proud about. I think there's lessons we can learn on how we can bring sort of our fight against big tobacco into this similar fight. Uh, really being able to combat against a lot of these car centric policies that we, we have and really be able to bring public health into our built environment, into our built infrastructure. So yeah, I think there's some lessons we can learn. I'm hoping to really bring those, uh, bring my experience in tobacco into this work. The equivalent to tobacco here is what? Because yeah. you can get you can get money from tobacco companies when they are forced in a settlement to to fund programs, but who who's the money coming from? Yeah, 
I think that's such a, a fundamental question is how do we fund this kind of like ground to top like public education, public awareness program around built environment. And you know, there's, there's plenty of other smart people that are more smart than me that can probably figure this out. But I know some things people are throwing around are things like congestion pricing, um, things like the gas tax is also a source of revenue. But I'm sure we could be creative about how we do, um, how we tax or how we can raise public dollars to do this kind of project, this kind of public education. I mean, maybe we don't have to be creative. Maybe we'll just use the it's two true, things yeah. you just said. Yeah. Gas tax and congestion pricing. We can find the mechanism, but I think even before finding out how we raise this money, we have to get sort of our elected officials. We have to start moving the conversation of policy into this direction about looking at bike lanes as a public mm -hmm. health issue, looking at crosswalks, looking at flat sidewalks. Right, making sure I can get to my bus stop, I can get to my grocery store without being hit by a car. These are all public health issues. And I think we need to continually push that conversation so that elected officials, policymakers start seeing it in that lens. And I think once you do, then I think you start to have a more public push to fund these kind of projects. All right. So maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit here then. We need to start looking at nah. <laughs> what is the name of the public health issue here in this case? It's traffic violence or what? You know, I think that is a tough part because you're, when it comes to tobacco, you can easily say like lung health, that is the issue. Lung cancer, that's the thing we're trying to avoid and fix, right? COPD. So there's things you can point to. You know, when it comes to built environments, things with traffic, um, I think one thing that comes to mind immediately is just not getting hit by a car. You know, the physical health of our bodies not being hit by a car, maimed, killed, you know, injured. But I think there's other, other sort of issues as well, such as environment. Um, you know, mm -hmm. communities with a lot of cars, especially communities near commercial areas or industrial ports, where they don't have the infrastructure to prevent a lot of these industrial cars and trucks going through their communities. You know, that has long health uh, consequences, right? You know, if you look at the community down in the port area in Los Angeles, down here in Wilmington, the port of LA, Long Beach, they have higher rates of uh, lung cancer, higher rates of COPD and asthma because of traffic, because of cars going through their neighborhoods. And so it's beyond just safety and, you know, not getting struck or hit while you're biking or walking, but also has to do with breathing, being able to have equitable, you know, environmental justice. So yeah, there's a lot of host of other health issues too that come into this. I've brought Roadblock here particular. No, he was already going to be here, but he's he. I th I think Roadblock, you could help us sort of design the uh, strategy, right? To do what we're talking about to fund find and then find a source of money. Yeah. Well, I was I was curious, like you know, cigarette smoking was a huge industry. It still is a huge industry and extremely popular culturalized everything in our movies mm -hmm. what was the turning point where there was enough political will it's it's a lot like car driving and burning fossil fuels where we know in the back of our heads that it's unhealthy and people are getting killed and maimed on the street and everything but culturally it's like we're not ready to to get there yet somehow what was you know what was the turning point for tobacco when they when there was finally enough yeah. political will, right? That is a really good question, and let me tell you a story. Um, I know this might seem like a tangent, but I'll tell you why I'm going into this. But tobacco and uh, sugary drinks; those were two areas a lot of public health advocates back in the day wanted to uh, combat. You know, reducing sugar intake through sodas and then reducing tobacco. And what was interesting is those two sort of public health sectors kind of went in different ways. Tobacco went to the direction of let's tax this and let's force people to um, pay more so that they, you know, they don't buy cigarettes. Let's make sure we have money then to pass laws to force people to not smoke in apartments, not smoke in restaurants. And so they went to this route of passing laws to compel people unilaterally to reduce smoking. Uh, when it came to the soda groups, they, and they're still sort of still happening now and it's been changing, but it's been more towards voluntary public education about 
you know, the harms of, you know, consuming too much sugar. And so they went on the voluntary route. And as you can see now, tobacco rates have actually dropped and plummeted. Well, I think sugar intake is probably has not seen as much of a public health success. So I think one lesson that has taught us is, sure, you can do public education. Sure, you can do an you know, awareness campaign. But unless you have laws and policies uh, that compel society to look at these things as harmful, to look at our streets as places of, you know, of health and public convening, um, I don't think we're going to get there. It, you have to move policies and laws, in my opinion. And then I guess, you know, kind of in order to move policies, you need the political will. Exactly. And like, you know, the political will to go against car culture, that's, that seems almost impossible. I mean, there's like $14 billion worth of marketing going on every year in the United States, you Is know, so car marketing. So you're starting off with this premise. <laughs> that I, impossible. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I just think about it all the time. It's like, how do you overcome you know, it like in all of the work we've done in City Hall, you're talking to politicians directly and telling them and showing them statistics. And and it's still a matter of you got to overcome this culture that treats cars as, you know, the, the, the most important piece of transportation equipment you'll ever own. So, yeah, it's daunting. I, I totally get it. You know, and I can't speak for what this movement looks like. I only can speak for sort of my hometown here in, in Los Angeles. And I can tell you, you know, with the, with more of like the millennial generation, you know, younger generation, I think lower rates of car usage, you know, people using Metro more well, right now, I mean, it's a different situation, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm seeing more hope um, with the younger generation, with the upcoming mm -hmm. generation. And to be honest, I think it's inevitable. And that's how I always frame this, the move towards a more walkable, more denser communities uh, with things in more access that doesn't require you to, you know, burn gas. I think it's an inevitable destination. It's a matter of how fast we get there though. So I always frame it like that, that we're gonna get there some way or another, but it's just a matter of, you know, keep going at it, so. Yeah, I guess so, even in tobacco, you know, in the world of tobacco, I mean, there's still tons of cigarette yeah. smoking going on. So um, I guess it's, it's a long fight. Yeah, but the, the thing with tobacco is, is once public health came into the picture, right? Once you had the whole entire apparatus of America's public health program, gearing itself against tobacco and seeing it as a public health crisis. I think that's when you started seeing that shift. In a similar way, I think we need to make that shift too. Um, consciously, you know, psychologically in this country, looking at our streets as a public health, uh, public health you know, asset. Yeah, well, just the difference between sitting while you're driving mm -hmm. uh, that amount of time and a more active form of transportation. There's not a debate about that. We know yeah. what sitting is to health. And I mean, beyond just like sitting and walking and actual recreation, but, you know, does your infrastructure environment give you safe access to grocery stores? Does your infrastructure environment give you safe access to your schools? In California, in Los Angeles, the top killer of our elementary and middle school kids are car crashes. It's, it's ridiculous. And so, again, I think it, it goes beyond just like the recreation, but also about access and safe access. And again, that goes back to public health. So, and you talked about voluntary versus what was the not voluntary one? The uh, lawsuit against the tobacco laws. companies. Lawsuit. <laughs> Lawsuits and also just laws. Yeah, laws. I don't think it's a surprise that the voluntary one wasn't didn't work so well. But the lawsuits and the laws is what maybe we would be focusing on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm more of a community organizer. So for me, laws is my forte. Uh, 
but yeah, for me, it's about pushing along and building a base. And so at Los Angeles Walks, one of the works, one, one of our sort of core work is uh, making sure that we're engaging communities that are impacted the most. And so in LA, it's a lot of monolingual Spanish-speaking communities that are bearing the brunt of a lot of the poor infrastructure uh, and decades of disinvestment. And so making sure that our communities are in the forefront and speaking and talking to power and pushing power uh, to, to bring resources to their neighborhoods to make it their street safer. Wow, and so you're doing this. Yeah, so we are, uh, we're a community organizing nonprofit, and so almost all the work that we do is we partner with uh, primarily disinvested communities and helping them engage and get safe street infrastructure. I don't know, I'm sure this is the same with other cities, but getting a speed bump, for example, in LA, for one of our community members, it took her 18 months mm -hmm. for one speed hump. And so that is sort of what our communities are facing. Basic infrastructure is so hard to get. And so one of the work that we do is making sure communities get those, but then using that experience and using that sort of struggle to build a movement uh, that really challenges power. But are you, are you I mean, that's great. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to bring up. One is yeah. uh, the ADAPT program that's repaving streets and yeah. trying to do that in along with the mobility plan so that they pave them with more safe streets infrastructure. You know, if it takes 18 months to get a speed hump, you might want to look at doing things more automatically, you know, instead yeah. of having to fight for each tiny piece of thing. I, I could not have said it better. Because the, so with the way the system is built is if you raise your hands, that's when you get a service. If you raise your hand long enough. But the thing is, if you have, if you have jobs, if you work in the evening, if you have kids, if you have, your schedule doesn't allow you to sort of engage in ways a lot of people with privilege can, then sort of you're sort of left out of the process. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it, we have a system where pretty much you have to raise your hands to get anything. And if you can't, then you don't. And the other thing is the slow streets network, or I'm not sure what it's being referred to, yeah. but where neighborhood councils or other community organizations can have these temporary slow streets, but we're hoping that people will start thinking about not having them be temporary. Oh yeah, and it's been really encouraging. We've, I've heard there's been over like 190 applications already for slow streets. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's showing there's a strong public push for it. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, I think we're all, all the um, sort of advocates have been thinking the back from the question, how do we use this experience to sort of drag this on afterwards? Are you gonna make a law then to do what we're talking about? If you, did, you know, if you did, if you did, what would it say? You know, that's a good question. For me, if I were to create a law that would, that would sort of bring this project to more permanency, I would, First, make sure that we're prioritizing communities, especially right now that uh, communities with essential workers and communities that have been impacted most, I think, by uh, COVID-19. And so the pr pr predominantly black and brown communities and NHPI communities. Mm -hmm. And so making sure those communities get access to uh, these slow street projects, I think would be, so if, I, if I were to craft a law, that would be one component that I want to make sure is in there. What would the law say beyond who would be helped by it? The irony is we have, these streets that are really designed for, you know, high speed, 45, 50 miles per hour, more, you know, you can comfortably speed at 60 miles an hour down a lot of LA streets from light to light. And uh, so we have a lot of space, but building the political will to you know, lower speeds is already a tough challenge. It's already tough to go to the city or, and to a politician and, and, you know, ask them to engineer for a, a, a slower speed. And once you engineer for a slower speed, you don't necessarily need the infrastructure 
that we all want to see, which is, you know, good bike infrastructure, good pedestrian infrastructure. So it's, it's like this catch 22. It's, it's like, if we can tame the cars, we don't necessarily need a bunch of infrastructure. However, most of our, you know, our street grid is already designed. It's already built. So we have these big wide streets where people feel very comfortable speeding and switching lanes and causing, you know, 20,000 hit and runs a year and so forth. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, like, for example, the, the school drop-off situation, you know, I've worked with uh, folks around my neighborhood um, to get a road diet in the neighborhood that was specifically there to slow down speeders. And I would talk to parents that would drive their kids literally two blocks to go to school because they were afraid that other parents dropping their kids off would run their children over. So they were, it's just like this feedback loop of despair. So, I mean, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. We've got to figure out the, how to turn that ship around. Well, thank you, John. I will be looking for the uh, text of the law that, that <laughs> will solve our... Uh, I mean, does, does LA Walks have, like, stated policy goals? Like, obviously, right? So we can, we can start getting on board and start following what LA Walks is doing in terms of uh, shifting the policy in our city? Yeah, I mean, I, so I've, I've been talking about this, sort of our version of the tobacco tax with folks, and so... And I've gotten some people interested in it. Um, people, I think, from the city level to, I think, some major nonprofits. So, yeah, I'm going to keep talking about it. And if I get any good updates, I'll get the language. I'll be sure to share with you all. Well, have a great rest of your walk. Thank you, guys. You take care. All right. Take care. Stay safe. Take care. You too. Oh, well, that was cool. And now <laughs> we have Gary Zico. And let's pretend that people don't know about cycling savvy and, and what used to be called vehicular cycling. How are we going to introduce this topic? Uh, I guess, you know, and Gary will, will have, will, will, will correct me where I'm wrong, but the way that, that, that I see this conversation around infrastructure and bicycles and walking and so forth is there's two columns. There's the column that says, you know, we have what we have on the road. Um, we have these streets that are already designed. They're already, the grid is already set up. We have the reality on the ground and we must learn to deal with that reality, which means educating cyclists how to navigate this street grid that we have. And uh, the, the other column is this street grid is fast. It's dangerous. It produces a lot of death and destruction. We need to change this. And we want specific infrastructure for bicycles and for walking and so forth to make that safe. And, you know, I, I fall squarely in the, in the corner of we need to change the infrastructure and create good infrastructure. We want perfect infrastructure. And um, I think where I get into it with a lot of what we call vehicular cyclists or bicycle drivers is, you know, there are, there are 
there are organizations that have a lot of say in the way that our state laws affect policy regarding transportation. And a lot of these groups like California Association of Bicycle Organizations are represented at that level and they advocate seemingly to keep the status quo, um, but also, you know, from a lot of conversations that I've had, they want the perfect infrastructure or no infrastructure at all. And I agree with that, but I also feel like these organizations can be a hindrance to ever getting that perfect infrastructure. So, um, I don't know. It's probably well, just okay, an so endless argument. So let's introduce Gary. Let's bring Gary on. Hey, and, Gary. Uh, yeah, hi. Hey, Gary. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I'm coming through, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, that's sort of uh, what, what Don was talking about is one way to spice it up. I think you might find cycling savvy a bit refreshing uh, coming from that perspective because on one hand, we believe that cyclists should be able to go wherever they want on a bicycle. And almost always that can be done knowing a few basic skills for getting around in traffic and how to do that. And we go back to John Forrest's starting this back in the 60s or 70s. But at the same time, we recognize that things can be made better. Uh, we don't want them made worse. And we also uh, realize that we're going to be able to we don't want to make things so that it gives a feeling of safety and it actually turns out to be less safe and or less convenient. So cycling savvy itself is really kind of agnostic with respect to the infrastructure stuff. So if you come to a cycling savvy course, we're not going to tell you that this kind of infra infrastructure is bad or this infrastructure is good. We're going to say what's there. We want you right now to be able to go anywhere on a bicycle. We want to empower you. And I do this all over Los Angeles, and it works very well. Many streets would be, they'd be more pleasant if there was a recognition that cyclists have a right to use the full lane. They'd be better if certainly sidewalks were better as well uh, for pedestrians. I mean, that's getting into, you know, the walking thing. But what we're looking at is just teaching how to do that. Cycling Savvy is the only educational program probably anywhere in the world where we have lessons on how to ride your bicycle, would you believe it, on a sidewalk? How to ride your bicycle on a cycle track, sometimes called protected bike lanes. Uh, there are additional risks and hazards on these cycle tracks that are not taught. They seem safe because you're protected from same direction traffic. But all of, have you ever counted all of the intersections and driveways on Figueroa where you have the cycle track? So I rode up there and I made sure that I would look at each one to make sure I wasn't getting right hooked. And I had a sore neck the next day uh, because it was so inconvenient, probably the worst place in the city to put something like that. I live in Playa, uh, Playa del Rey. The next community inland is Playa Vista. The only way to get there is through the wetlands, right? We have sort of a freeway going through there. Uh, and it used to be four lanes, no place to walk, no special place for a bike. So I'd have to control the lane. It wasn't very comfortable. 
This is a place where you would want something off to the side. Bonin had one put in about three years ago, came, showed up overnight. They ripped it out <laughs> because of the backlash. That's a place where you should have something like that. But now we don't. So there are contexts for these things. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we have uh, in our program, we will teach you how to get anywhere on a bicycle or whatever is there and where you may not want to use the bike lane because it's right in a door zone, where you may actually want to use a sidewalk, where you might want to and how to use things like what we call class four in California, these, these separate right away uh, bike paths as well, Bayona Creek and all this stuff. So I think you really need to look at the program and see what we have. People in our organization certainly have uh, their views about what they'd like to see and what they would not like to see. Uh, we like infrastructure that is compatible with driving a bicycle as a vehicle, uh, but that doesn't preclude lowering speed limits and providing extra space where it's needed for cyclists as well. So it really is quite agnostic. I ride all over the city. Lane control is my default, uh, which means I'm toward the center of the lane. I get a honk. I'm mostly on the west side, but I go downtown. I go South Bay. I go up Malibu, I get a honk every two or three months doing that. And I have videos that you can look at. If you go to YouTube and look up Cycling Savvy LA, I have 360 degree videos riding on places that are called the high injury network in Los Angeles. We may be the only city that actually has a special name for the roads that are considered most dangerous. So I'm riding my bike cargo bike with a tripod and a camera 15 miles an hour on Lincoln Avenue, either during rush hour or shoulder time. And it isn't a problem because I know how. <laughs> that's, I know the, how that's, the, that's the famous Home Depot bucket with the uh, tripod. Yeah, that you we see, see pictures it. of. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you're a car driver and you see a guy with a Home Depot bucket and a big camera tripod, maybe that's helpful in some ways to I don't, discourage? I, I don't usually ride like that, right? Uh -huh. I'm usually okay. on my, my all-road bike and I'm going maybe 18, 20 miles an hour. So, so what, what, what technique do you use as you take the lane, for example? Like, tell us about the technique that you use to not get rear-ended. You just are, first of all, you're making it clear that the lane is yours. How? by positioning yourself toward the center or a little left of center. Okay. Motorists way back can see that they're gonna to have to change lanes. We have videos on Cycling Savvy, tons of these things in my own too. They're very boring because that's what people do when it's clear that they need to change lanes, they will do that. Almost and they do that, they do that most of the time. Virtually all the time. The only thing, as I mentioned, every couple of months I get a honk and I know now I'm being seen. Somebody doesn't like what I'm doing. Okay, so that's not pleasant. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. But the, the thing is, by being relevant, by showing that you're following the rules of the road. Another thing is, if somebody does get behind me, I turn around and I look at them. Now they got a face they know that I know they're there and I'm not oblivious to their, to their presence. And if you want to go for a ride with me sometime, you know, let's go for a ride. Uh, and I've, I've done this with a number of people who are skeptical of this. 
Now that well, it's it's that not way. it's not that I'm skeptical. It's it's like I'm you know I'm an LCI. And I know it's a different program. The league league certified well, instructor with the LA with the I, uh, I League of American Bicyclists, of course. And it's it's probably not as comprehensive as Cycling Savvy. I've heard a lot of good things about Cycling Savvy. Um, you know, I was taking the lane when I got plowed into from behind. Uh, you know, Paul Nandy taking the lane, plowed into from behind. Um, Sean Bannon taking the lane, plowed into from behind. Christian yep. Martinez. You know, I could rattle off a lot of names yeah. of people that were hit from behind. And these, you know, my case was a hit and run. Paul's case was a hit and run. Christian's was a hit and run. I mean, there's a lot of anecdote, right. you know, anecdotal things I could say that it's, um, you know, I take the lane because that's what you have to do to be safe, but it's not. It's not 100%. You know, no. That would be 100%. And, and, yeah, of course. And, you know. See, now, one, one thing I have to ask with all these cases you mentioned. Yes. What was the time of day? Night dark? Did they have lights on? Yes. Where I was had, the position? Where were you on the Middle road? of the road. I was actually in the middle of the road, and I did look back at the yeah. driver. I saw it coming. Yeah. Well, it can happen. It can definitely happen. Oh, all right. Uh, well, so I, then I think that's kind of like the big breakdown between the two philosophies. It's like, well, it can happen. You can get hit. But you know what? But, you know, yeah. you got to do this to remain safe on our grid. And it's like, I agree, but our grid isn't safe. There's 20,000 hit and runs in Los Angeles, and most of them are property crimes, but three or four of them every single day are pedestrian and cyclists, hit and runs, okay. mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, there is a culture going on. Maybe it's just in our city, but I think it, it's actually, you know, around the United States, but there is a culture of lawlessness in, on our streets and, 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 you know, and a lot of the arguments we get into online, I'm like saying like, hey, you're a board member of Cabo, California Association of Bicycle Organization. They have a big voice in Caltrans and state level things, it seems. Um, why are we not working together to tame vehicle speeds? Why are we not working together to defeat things like the 85th percentile law, which give us these unreasonable speed limits uh, right in front of my house, 45 yeah. miles an hour. Oh, I don't think you'll find anyone in cable who wouldn't want to reduce the speed limits. Uh, For I sure. mean, it seems like over the years, they put up a lot of resistance yeah. to yeah. stuff that seems obvious to me, like three-foot law, you know, things like that. So, But, you know, you, you mentioned, okay, we, we get out in the, and control the lane and make ourselves, uh, you know, susceptible to getting rear-ended. Uh, I'd want to right, know like these kids over on DeSoto over here, um, there was two of them. Yeah. DeSoto is a seven-lane street. Uh -huh. Now, there was a truck in the two-lane. They were in the three-lane. Yeah. The truck is moving slow. The car passes on the right, slams into one of the kids who was taking the lane. They had lights, mm -hmm. kills him, and takes off. Mm -hmm. And it was a hit and run. Yeah, it was at night, but a lot of people ride at night. I mean, you know, there are people that work and into the evening, and it gets dark. You know, at five or six. And do you know one? You want to know how many cyclists are killed by ride hooks by drive -out? Tons. I'll bet you there's tons. Much. Tons. I mean, like ninety percent of the crashes are turning and crossing movements. It's not getting hit from behind. 
Right, it, but it's that fear from it's behind. Still, it's still, still because because the speeds on the roads are so fast yeah. that a lot of people don't even get out into the lane. It's scary, right? So I guess what you're saying is we got to educate all cyclists to get in the lane. It's sort of like almost like a licensing program. Well, they need okay. So in turn, it's an educational program. Okay. We have go to cyclingsavvy.org. We have a free essentials course, which will give you a taste of what we do. Okay, and you can register for that and look at it. And, and Carrie Caffrey has our animations for that, explaining why lane control makes sense. We also have uh, paid courses, two of them, co a combined of about three and a half hours of videos, animations, text, laws, all, everything you would want to know. I've seen every one of these online lessons at least two or three times. I learn something new every time I see them. I mean, they are really, there's nothing like them anywhere. And I should know all this stuff already, but I still learn stuff. Kerry Caffrey and Mike Wilson put this together. It is just amazing. When John Allen, who's up there on the right, who's joined us now, he's been involved in bicycle education for donkey's years. Hey, he, he looked at Cycling Savvy and he said, wow, this is amazing stuff. So it is a new paradigm. Let's say that's the, the one to go with. Should we be requiring education for all cyclists like to survive you know what i mean like what well, do you what do you think about that is that well, something you, should be taught in schools absolutely or? should be taught in schools of should course, it be a requirement of having a bicycle uh well i don't want to get into requiring registration of laws and this kind of stuff because there is a basic right to be able to move about a community and that includes bicycling right. and walking. When you're right. motor, motoring is a privilege, human power is a right. So it, it gets a little bit sneaky there. But certainly to, to advocate this and to take a look at, at what's there. And at the same time, as you become more comfortable and empowered to go anywhere on the bike, uh, go and, and work to drop those speed limits. Because we know the speed limits are, are deadly. And if there is a crash, it's going to be much more serious, and particularly for pedestrians and for bicyclists. Uh, get charros out. I mean, you could turn LA into a city with an incredible bicycle network by identifying streets with maybe more moderate traffic, multi-lane streets, put up bicycles may useful lane signs, put on charros. I don't know if you've been down to Redondo Beach. They have a lot of those on, uh, on their main drag down there toward the, toward the harbor. Uh, you can combine that with bus bike lanes where you have professionals. Those are good. I've been on Wiltshire and there are a few choke points because you have different cities with different laws, but it's a marvelous way of just instantly having a bike network. They don't violate any of the laws of driving. Uh, you don't have to worry about right hooks all over the place and intersections and people not being able to see you because now you've got parked cars between you and cars turning right and left and coming out of driveways, you could do this. And I've, I've started to identify some of the streets I like. Uh, Hoover down that, that goes up to sort of the Exposition Park Avenue is a good spot. Uh, we used to be called Rodeo, now Obama is a great street for that. These are now basically four lane roads with no bike lanes, which I really like because you just get on there and you just motor and you go. We have people on e-bikes now going 20 or 28 miles an hour. You're going to want them in some narrow bike lane or in a door zone or in a cycle track. Uh, doesn't really work. 
So we do have streets just because they're designed for higher speeds doesn't mean we can't pull the speeds down. There are legal problems, the 85th percentile thing, and we certainly want to change that. And we want to get the speeds down. You go up to uh, the uh, North, Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area, they have streets up there, Ashby, which goes on to I-80, 25 mile an hour. Okay, they're going 30, 35, I'll take it. Over 45, 55 that we have here. How do they do it? And we can't do it down here in, in Southern. There's different culture in, the, in oh, Berkeley and sure. in, in Oakland in oh, the Bay Area. Why the hell can't we do that down here? So probably, probably the street grid too is, is a little denser up there, right? Yeah, like a lot, of our, a lot of our development out here is post 40s and 50s when, when cars were seen as the, yeah. the default transportation. But I'll tell you, if you can drive a car at 55 miles an hour on the street, you can also drive it at 25 or 30. I mean, <laughs> I do that as a matter of uh, spiteful habit probably now, but um, I do that out in my area, which is out in the valley, and yeah. people lose their minds behind me. So it's kind of interesting to watch somebody you know, completely lose their mind and speed around me and then stop at the light right up ahead. And, and for that reason, I feel more comfortable riding a bicycle at 15 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone than driving a car at 40 or 45 because I have no excuse in the car as the other motorists see me. But when I'm on a bicycle, they know why I'm going at 15, 20 miles an hour because that's how bicycles operate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but you know, we, I was, I was going to say about our, our, our programs for Cycling Savvy, the online courses, that package of those two basic and mastery courses, we were selling those for $100. Those have been reduced to $50. Lifetime access, 30-day money-back guarantee, and access to any other courses that Cycling Savvy comes up with. I'm working on a group writing course, uh, and hopefully that will be up when we get a little bit more Gary. resources for that. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say that, that, you know, somebody might not get the impression that Don uh, is a vehicular cyclist ever or that he doesn't value uh, the, the program that you have. And I, I just want to make it clear that, you know, the reason you're on is because yeah. Don has a lot of uh, respect for, for cycling savvy and is a part-time vehicular cyclist. Thanks for covering for, covering for me, Nick. No, I understand <laughs> that. Uh, but No, you, I, I, I believe in bicycle education very much. I mean, that's why I became an LCI. Like, I believe in it. It's the way that we're going to have, that we have to deal with the carnage on our streets. And, you know, it's, it's just that we are up against billions of dollars of education that tells us that bicycles don't belong on the streets and that, you know, that bicyclist in my way up, up ahead going 15 miles an hour deserves a punishment pass because they're, they're in the lane and they shouldn't be. And you know, there's you, like, uh, there's a ton you, of education that, okay. that needs to happen for both drivers and cyclists. And, and, you know, and, you, and you know how I do some of my education, most of my education, riding my bicycle, as a, as a vehicle, driving it uh, downtown or west side or wherever, controlling the lane, being courteous and communicative with drivers, recognizing sure. when I'm slowing them down, 
we teach in Cycling Savvy ways to cooperate with drivers. We have four different ways of releasing traffic. You won't see anywhere else. So we are conscious of the fact, our impact, mindful of the impact that we have. And you will see me, and that's sort of why I like the 360. I'm waving motorists to go by me. If they had to slow down a little bit, I give them a little friendly wave and they often smile back. I am educating hundreds of motorists every time I get on my bike and I ride someplace on it. Because if I'm gonna ride for an hour in LA, I'm gonna get passed by hundreds of motorists. And they are all without exception, except for a couple, three, two, three months, I get a honk, positive interactions. When I got here in seven years ago, we had groups going at on the PCH riding in the shoulder or back and forth between the shoulder and the lane, often single fire. If you go up there now, we have groups, my club, Big Orange, Major Taylor I belong to, two by two, controlling that lane. Five times we got, well, four times we got pulled off by sheriffs and had to go to court. Uh, never convicted. Uh, I was an expert witness for that. Go out there now on any weekend. Well, not now because we don't have the groups. And you will see groups going out two by two, right up that right lane. Motorists going around. The culture has changed there in the last couple of years. And that's the type of thing we can do. And that is just getting out on the road and riding your bicycle as a vehicle, being communicative. How do you communicate? You show by your lane position, whether you want motorists to pass you, if you're squeezed on the right, change lanes or move over to the left, put your hand out if you don't want them to pass. Being communicative, looking for opportunities always to have positive interactions. This is why I get so excited about this program. Because it's not this militant, I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna stay in the middle of the lane. I don't give a damn who's behind me, who's slowing me down. We are mindful and we're always looking for ways to do this. We have one of our instructors, Karen Carabell, St. Louis. She rides with a smile on her and she goes around and it's, it's a party to be with her in St. Louis. I rode with her from LA to downtown when she visited LA and we had fantastic time. But people see it as a war and it doesn't have to be a war. Yes, we can make things better, <laughs> but you can make things better right now by being educated and having some basic skills and looking at what we teach. And so that, that's why I'm excited about this. And I, you know, want other people to really look at it before they say, well, education's fine, but we've got to make these other changes first. Well, if hey, you want hey, to ride your Gary, bicycle. Hey, Gary, Gary, is yeah. John Allen. I'm joined in here. I don't know if you can see me. Yes, I see you. Okay. I, I had a, a couple of thoughts if I could interject. You, 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 are. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Gary was a college professor, and he is—he's a great talker. But um, one of the one of the things that we do—I don't know if you mentioned it because I got in late—is is called the right turn on green, where if you get on one of these major arterials, you can actually have it all to yourself. Um, if you if you wait until the uh, the right turn on red is over and enter turn right on the green. Uh, similarly, just turning left. Uh, traffic signal timing is one of the things we, we teach in uh, Cycling Savvy, and it, it can work amazing things for you. Um, timing, so yeah. Another, another thing I don't know whether Gary mentioned is <clears throat> that um, I use a rear view mirror, and so I can see what the driver behind me is doing. Um, 
I have I have front and rear situational awareness. Um, I think I said when I was a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, I I started using the mirror before I actually even read John Forrester's book, and it sort of helped prepare me for trying out what I learned from the book and now what has developed from that into cycling savvy. But way back then, <clears throat> I, I could see that it worked. I couldn't just trust, have to trust that it would work mm -hmm. because someone told me so. I could actually see in my little mirror. I've made Gary silent. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I use a mirror as well. Uh, uh, but I, almost all the time. Not all the time, but almost all the time. Because I still want to make sure I have the ability to look sure. around. And, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the mirror, the mirror doesn't do it all by itself. I mean, someone could be right next to you on a bicycle and you wouldn't yeah. hear them. And, and, I, and I think it's important. See, another thing with the mirror is that when you see that you may be slowing down a motorist behind you, just turning around and giving them your face, you become a person now. And they know, as I mentioned before, they know that you know they're back there. And right. uh, sometimes you just put up your hand and say, just hang on yep. a little bit. I'll put a finger up one minute and I'll be out of your way. And almost every time I see somebody slowed down behind me on a multi-lane street in LA, what happens? They turn right at the next intersection. So that's one right hook I didn't have to worry about. And they were happy to just hang out behind me and make their right yeah. turn. So yeah, I, I made a hand signal today when it wasn't safe for a driver to pass me. Two lane road, there was an, another vehicle approaching from the front. Yeah. Hand signal, don't pass me now. And then when, when the um, vehicle had passed, you know, I think the mirror can, can make it uh, help you get into the water, get, get your, get your yeah. foot in and get to see how motors react. And in fact, there are videos that Mike Wilson did down in Orlando where this started, finding that by controlling the lane and shooting the video to the rear, finding motorists changing lanes so far back, they never had to take their foot off the pedal. Yeah, right. If you're sort of in the, even in the right tire track, which is not extremely right edge, but still sort of, motorists far back would think, that, oh, I can get by. Then they get close and they see they can't. And they actually recorded more honks uh, on the right side, right tire track, than controlling the lane for that reason. Because you're communicating. And that's your most important way of communicating with drivers behind. And having the mirror to check that, in fact, that they are slowing down is, is good to do. Uh, and, and, you know, after a while, you just sort of get used to it. But I, I love checking behind. More, more for being courteous uh, than for being cooperative than for and for really safety because I'm somebody running me down when I'm well lit at night or in broad daylight when I'm clearly relevant and as a part of traffic. Actually, yeah, that was, that was the problem I ran into is, you know, I, I, I saw the guy coming from a ways back. And even as I was looking back at him, because I wanted to get over to the left lane and make a left turn on a street and as I was looking back to yeah. gauge what this guy was going to do and he was coming fast. And as soon as I realized that he didn't see me for whatever reason, I had bright yeah. lights on 
I was in the middle of the lane. Um, as soon as I realized he was not slowing down, uh, I tried to, you know, get out of there. I tried to dive to the, to the side of the road. There was no time to react. That's why I'm kind of like skeptical of the mirror thing. Cause it's sort of like you see the car coming and what point do you think the car is not seeing you kind of deal? And do you have enough time to react? I don't think that you have enough time to react if they're going particularly fast. I mean, it definitely sounds good and it feels good to have a mirror, but I'm not totally sold on that. It's a lifesaver. Is there any kind of data on, on that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so, but you will yeah. it's certainly much more convenient to check traffic behind with a mirror because you just flick your eyeball up there and you, and you know, what's there. Totally. I mean, I like I looking like back because I, I like doing, I like doing this, the, what you described, as a cycling savvy move, which is to look back and make eye contact with the driver, yeah. um, which I do often, probably not as much as I should, but you got to do what you got to do to survive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there it's, it's not going to be a hundred percent, uh, you know, carefree, <laughs> but it's worked for me. And when I first came to LA, a real estate agent is a cyclist and he saw some of my materials and he said to me, Hey, that's going to work maybe in, in central Illinois where I was living. He said, you're going to get killed here in LA if you try to control the lane. And How I've long have you been in LA? Seven years. So, so I've done this and I got I, so many boring videos <laughs> riding around LA. I get so much space. And uh, it, it's just sort of curious because people will say that'll work someplace else, but it's not going to work here. So LA is a great place to it, be. It works. It works in LA for the most part, but not, not a hundred percent. And at well, night, it's very problematic. Yeah. So well, we got to figure out what to do about that. Yeah. Is there well, are there cycling savvy videos with nighttime riding? Oh sure. Uh, okay, look, cool. look, look up Carrie. Can Cap, you Capri to dance? We got. What do you think? Cap. Like. Do you think, is there a way to get funding for this to have it in schools or how, how are you, how, let's say this cycling savvy class is like the best thing ever, right? It sounds like it. What is going to get it out there? You know, it costs oh. money. Do you think a bike, I mean, the thing with bikes is like, they're, they're sort of this, they are a vehicle, but they're a device. You know, they're, they're sort of like this convenient thing and you don't need a license and. It is out there. I mean, the online courses are out there and we have instructors like in 18 states for the in-person courses. How many people a year get educated? I I don't, I don't have, I I don't have those figures right at my, uh, at my head right now. Ballpark like 20,000, 30,000. Oh no, I don't think it's going to be that much. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look at it, but. The online stuff will scale up. We have John Allen's book now, Cycling Sorry version of, of his uh, Street Smarts, which is which is great. Forty eight pages with with wonderful. But it's like, how are we going to get this out into the public so that well, you know, not only you know, like right now, like I said, like a three or four cyclists and pedestrians in the city of Los Angeles are victims of hit and runs every single day. Yeah. How do we get this education out to the masses to 
sort of overpower the $14 billion automotive advertising industry that's telling you to go fast and you're the most important person on the road. Like, how do well, we do it? How do we get it out there? Where's the funding going to come from? I yeah, well, we're trying to, you know, sell our programs. We've had some funding coming from various... But like, people, people are not necessarily going to buy it, though, right? Yeah. Like, you got to... Yeah. Like, what do, what do we do? Is there a way to get the gas tax to pay for that? Like, what, okay, what are you guys, well, what are you guys doing as members of Cabo? Well, one of the things that, uh, in terms of Cabo, as we call it, is not, uh, well, we're trying to, one of the things is to trying to get some, some good material out there in terms of uh, John Allen's book, make that sort of the California State Bicycling Manual, as we have a, uh, car driving manual and a motorcycle manual. So that's one thing that we're working on. Hopefully we may be able to get that done or at least improve the one that they, they're going to come up with anyway. Uh, we've been working with universities for them to purchase uh, rights to use the Cycling Savvy course. And so uh, we've had it at University of Florida. Uh, it started uh, up in UC Davis now. Students in the community will be able to get the Cycling Savvy course. I'm working personally with UC Riverside and hopefully that will happen. So universities is a good place for us to, to get this out. Uh, that's one place. And that allows us to make more materials. We don't have materials for families and kids, which is something we definitely want to do. That's important. We don't I have materials for group riding, but that hasn't been packaged yet in any online way. Uh, but that will hopefully happen. But we need to, we need to start making some some money from what we currently have. And I think that's gonna work, as you mentioned, individuals are not terribly keen on paying even $50 for something. So uh, to the extent that we can get universities to pay and to get some, you know, some of the industry to come up with uh, funding to make this available to, to, other, to other cyclists and make it important and to- what's, you know, the, what's the youngest age you would recommend for someone to take cycling savvy? Well, any, anybody could look at the online stuff, but I think that, you know, certainly high school or even late, later middle school, we've had 15 or 16 year old kids do it. Uh, usually if they're that young, if they're under 16 or 14, 15, we want them to be with a responsible adult if they're getting on their bikes and actually doing a tour of LA or Riverside or wherever we're doing it. But we've had uh, younger people do it as well. And that's, that's worked pretty well. If you go to the Savvy Cyclist, which is a newsletter that we put out, uh, John Allen has contributed many articles. I've done a couple myself. I got one there. We're writing, uh, myself, my wife, uh, as grandparents, and my son and his wife with their four-year-old child on the city streets in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, and this is a family. We're out there, and it's, it's not a problem. And what does a four-year-old have to be able to do to do this? Well, they have to be able to listen to adults around them. They have to know how to start their bike, stop the bike, ride in a straight line. That's about it. Uh, and so we can, this is applicable certainly to families uh, and getting the kids off the sidewalks when they're ready to, to get up the sidewalk. Yeah, because that's one thing like, um, you know, one thing I noticed from riding all over in the, in the Netherlands or even in Germany and so forth is you do see young kids riding their bikes to school. Oh yeah. And I try to think like, would I see an eight, 10 year old kid riding a bike 
taking the lane on say Lincoln Boulevard or something. Um, I don't know. That sounds scary to me, but I guess you're saying that's possible with cycling savvy. Well, I'm, I'm showing that it's possible to hundreds of motorists every time I get on my bicycle and you could do the same thing. You may be doing partly that as well. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've so, like, I've led the group rides, like, you know, I, I didn't realize that you, you actually got here in 2013 because, um, you know, I've been leading uh, the Wolfpack Hustle group rides every Monday. And uh, we did, we did do a lot of the things that you talk about, like taking the lane as a group, um, you know, uh, signaling to drivers that, that we are here and we deserve this lane and so forth, asserting our rights to the lane. Those yeah. kinds of things. I mean, that, that, that's helpful. You know, that's definitely helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's one of the things we're looking for as well in cycling savvy. We, you know, ultimately we want to change cyclist behavior, uh, doing that changes what motorists expect cyclists to be doing. That helps to change cultural beliefs. And then mm-hmm. that leads to the changes that we want to see with healthy livable communities. But it starts with getting out there. And I'm not saying the infrastructure changes is not important. I mean, that's important as well. But we don't have to wait for that. We can get out and do our stuff now at the same time we're advocating for lower speed limits and, and, and better roads and enforcement and these types of things. I mean, there are, there are people that say like, you know, like, you know, John Forrester and John Allen and so forth have been putting these materials out for decades. And it hasn't changed anything on the ground in terms of numbers of people cycling, the feeling of safety, or even the numbers. I mean, you know, the, the death count is still there. It's somewhere around 30 or 40,000 people die on, our st- on the nation's streets every yes. year in car crashes, let alone, yeah. you know, if, if people were riding bikes and so forth in this environment. Yeah. Do you think uh, what, like moving forward, what would be the plan to accelerate that? Because it's it doesn't seem to be working. Getting it into schools and universities is certainly a major part of that, and we have materials for that. What about the DMV? Do you guys ever, as as Cable, do you guys ever work on work with the state on on like DMV materials? Jim Barras, our our president, is involved with them, and he's been making incremental changes to that. Still not perfect, but but it's getting there. And if we if we can get John Allen Street Smarts, a California edition, which I've already developed materials for, if we can get that into every DMV DMV office, along with the motorcycle and car guide or handbooks that would that would be a step as well but you but you know what's interesting you may not like hearing this but when i get on my bicycle the only close calls i've had on my bike has been because of other cyclists coming around a corner and they're going the wrong way not lit at <laughs> night and i can't see them i have well, yeah, yet I mean, to have any close to, encounter like, with them that kind of goes to my bigger i mean we can all talk about our anecdotal experience. And yeah. like I said, like I've been hit, I've had several friends that have been hit. We're doing most of our riding during commuting hours and at night, but you know, that you're, you're making a good point. Not like there's so many cyclists that don't have access to this education. They're riding the wrong way. They're not stopping for lights. They don't see themselves as a vehicle on the road. I mean, it's, 
sort of like you're making the argument, but not wanting to make the argument because I don't want to make that argument either that cyclists should earn a license to ride along with other licensed drivers. So otherwise, otherwise, how would we get this? How would we get this? You know, how would we get all these cyclists and potential cyclists educated? This is for for people who don't know. This is like a family argument kind of thing here <laughs> oh i think we're agreed i don't find it really much of an argument yeah uh, at this point i just want to see like i do want i mean i i want netherlands style infrastructure is it gonna happen in my lifetime probably not so we're gonna have to deal with this this you know traffic grid the way it is and to yeah. do that it's like you know traffic so, skills 101 and cycling savvy but, 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 and then but it's like how do you get past this 14 billion dollar car culture that is everywhere it's everywhere in our culture like you can't go to a sports game without seeing nissan commercials you can't go you can't turn on that doesn't bother me i can coexist with the it it may not bother you but the the reality on the ground is that millions of people get injured every year on our roads and those are just people driving cars yeah you know like you're now expecting people to jump out into like a pool of sharks and ride a bicycle. Right. You know what I'm All saying? Right. Like, All how right. do we get to point B? Hey, I, I just, for everybody who doesn't know uh, that, I, be, I think it boils down to Don feels that um, the emphasis on bicycle Nick, education. Nick, it's okay. It's okay. Is, Nick. I'm trying to boil to it down into a I nutshell. Know. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not gonna, arguing. We're, I know, I'm, but I'm, can I I'm on, say, I'm on Gary's side. I know. And I want to get to point Don, B where it's like we have yeah. this All right, safe I just wanna, culture going on in, in yeah. the United States. I want to hear you, Gary's thoughts on that. All right. But let me just say the thing that I was going to say, which was over in one second, uh, was that it boils down to the, that an emphasis on bike education many feel is getting the way of an emphasis on things that make a novice bicyclist feel more safe and then go on. Right. Uh, I'm what I'm saying is there is car marketing and gas and oil industry marketing that attunes to I, something like $14 billion a year spent in the United States that tells us every single day, everywhere we go, that cars are the most important uh, feature of the road and that you should be driving fast and everybody else screw off. And after, you know, I don't know, I was born and raised in LA after doing this for, you know, almost all my life, uh, it starts to get tiring to have to always look back at a driver and smile at them or wave at somebody and, you know, do all this stuff just so I can ride a bicycle to the store and maybe feel safe. You know, it's like we have to get into driver's heads too somehow. And I just don't see moves being made in that sense. I see a lot of resistance to bike lanes and bike infrastructure and there's great reasons to be against door zone bike lanes and so forth but i'm not seeing a lot of initiative in terms of how do we tame these drivers how do we educate drivers how do we educate cyclists you know like we have to get to a point b because this right now it's it's barely tolerable in my opinion 
And the data. I mean, the data is right there. Millions of people every year are injured on our roads. Thousands, tens of thousands die on our roads. What, how do we get to point B? Well, I think I'm past point B myself, and I'm trying to get other people out there too. Right. Uh, how do you get those money? other people out there to point to your point B? Yeah. Like, and how, off, are you, how is it going to happen? And Gary, off of your answer, we're going to go to our next guest, just so you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would just point out the resources that we already have uh, at Cycling Savvy. Okay. Visit it. Look at uh, Purchase John's uh, Street Smarts book, and uh, you'll be empowered. You'd be able to go anywhere in L.A. or any community, and... Uh, you can do it safely and mostly yeah. safely. You'll be mostly, mostly safely. Safely. It's not a hundred percent. And not hundred percent. And I, I you, you feel like I get the impression from you that you're having trouble getting out on the street and riding your bike. I have a blast. I, I, uh, I don't have any trouble. It's just, that I've been hit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know. I've been plowed into. So changing. And I was, I was, I was a full believer in the take the lane. I was bought in all that stuff. And then that happened. And then it was like, Hmm, you know, I, I know thousands of cyclists and I guess maybe it's just sort of that, that bias you have when you, when your, your Facebook feed is like yeah. your social media feeds are filled with, you know, here and there, there's a crash. Somebody got hit. Somebody got paralyzed. You know, these kinds of things that you see maybe more of because I know so many cyclists that it seems urgent to me that we need to get, everybody to this point B. And I'm just saying like, how do we get everybody to this point B where everybody's educated, where, you know, this car culture thing, this $14 billion of car culture thrown in our faces every year is matched yeah. with education. Hey, like, you know, cyclists belong on the road. Pedestrians should be able to cross safely. Like, there's a lot of education that has to happen. Your program seems great. How do we get that program to the point where it's about equal with this $14 billion of okay, so alternate education? Is what I'm saying. He's going to answer your question now, and you're going to let him finish his thought. <laughs> and then He already answered my question. All right. Well, it's, it's little by we'll little. It's educating cyclists, getting them right. on the road, and hoping getting to a tipping point where you get so, enough people doing this, and it becomes uh, normal, as it already is on PCH in Malibu. We've changed the culture there already. Um, John Allen here. Um, Gary's going to sign off. I've, I'm going to sign off, too. i got to cook something in the kitchen before it's too dark here on the or too late here on the west, the east coast. All right. Already Thanks for coming here. on, you guys. And I hope I didn't give you too much of a hard time. No. It, sounds, it sounds like you were fine. So oh, yeah. we appreciate you guys coming on. We'll have you guys back on if you want to come back on. And uh, always uh, appreciate, um, you know, the, the point of view that, yes, we, we have a right to the, to the road. And we should be in the road and respected. So... I, we can agree on that. Um, okay. And, yeah, and, and um, for your next guest, I, I don't mean to downplay the next guest, but I got to cook something. I'll, I'll uh, no worries. have a look at the show later. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All thanks right, for coming on, John. Okay. And thanks, Gary. Gary. And Gary, if you can stay, you can. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. I'll hang on for a little longer. Yeah. And so the, the next guests I found out about because you posted something from them, Don. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> What's the post that made you that made you discover us? 
Yeah, what was that? I, I post not, all kinds of bike memes every day. I do not remember. But as soon as you posted it, I went to check out Bike Posting 1970. And that's when I found out that there's a whole world of, uh, I guess, memes. Would you call them memes? And how do you pronounce your name? Yohanan. It's a Yohanan. weird name. Yeah. It's not weird. I'm just, I've not seen it. There's only, I think, like four people with the same name in the world or something. Huh. Is that true? I'm not sure, but I cannot find many. Huh. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's a, a distinction. Yeah, I guess. Hey, Nick. Who's the original, Johan? Is was Nick the original admin of Bike Posting 1970? Yes, um, he was. And then you were like the super fan who joined the group. Basically, uh, I think I got my sound working now. So the name Why? Bike Posting comes from shit posting. Basically, it's a sort of a humorous homage to. What, what people do is when they post meme after meme on Facebook? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we don't have, like, consistent days where we're just, like, spamming posts, but we definitely do, like, have, like, a, a day a week where there's just, like, 10 memes that day. Um, we also uh, – where was I going with that? Um, we um, – the, the page's inspiration was um, – a page called car posting 1990 actually that used to uh, be obsessed with like um, Asian import cars and, and they're like Australian based and stuff. And um, so I kind of tried to emulate their attitude, but with bicycles and like, they had this very aggressive, like, Oh, like we own the shit. And so like, I kind of just took that was like, well, we're bicycles. We take the lane. We own the shit. This is our deal. You know, like, um, and you know, we, we, we kind of take things that are factual, like, like, you know, statistics of like the road and deaths or, or, um, you know, just like things that happen very commonly on, on the streets and stuff. And, um, we make hot takes out of it, you know, uh, you find one on my phone real quick. Hold on. Cause we've had some good ones. Um, and recently they haven't even been hot takes. They've just been like. Truth. Kind of twisted truths, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, See, I've got some saved posts here. Oh, you know what's a classic go-to is uh, a lot of Sheldon Brown's pictures. He, he makes some great content that, uh, you know, there's this tandem bicycle. He's got the drop bars. He's sitting on the rear seat, and he's the only one on it. Pretty funny. These memes are exactly as stupid as, as they sound when I describe them, but that's, that's kind of the gold of memes is that. We really like absurd images and stuff. We, for example, we find some of the weirdest bike repairs and stuff, weirdest bike mods, and then we just post it. For example, stupid white handlebars, we post it. Bicycle that's, <laughs> bicycle with an upside down fork, we post it. We just find the weird stuff and we post it. That's like one of the pillars of our content. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe this was the meme I shared, but I saw <laughs> one that says, uh, you know, it's 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 an emoji of a guy with a face palm and it says i meet someone we talk i explain how our reliance on cars forces us to rely even more on cars they leave and it's like i kind of had that i had a similar i had I laughed at this 
because I had an experience where I went on an OkCupid date and all seemed well and we were sitting there talking and I forgot how it came up, but the, the, the word road diet came up oh, and man. immediately in my head, I was like, Oh, because the only people that know about road diets are urban planners or people that fucking hate bike riders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to be a total, she turned out to be a total bike hater. And I was like, all right, let oh, me see if no. I can, there's gotta be a way that maybe I can like change your mind about bikes and like try it. And it just no fail. So yeah, no, it just doesn't cool. work. Yeah. Ah, man. Yeah, that that's, fun. uh, I made that meme because that's exactly what happened to me. Someone, someone found my meme page and, and didn't like what I was posting and, uh, <laughs> it just went downhill from there, but Hey, it's, it's funny do? how, how bikes are so, bikes can be so divisive. They can be so, it's so divisive. political. Yeah. How is it political for me to just ride a bike someplace? You know, I, and it, it's not, you, it's, you don't draw it. You don't draw it on partisan lines. I know like, Trump supporters that are avid bike riders and all four yeah, bike rides. And I know Democrats who fucking hate bicycle riders. Yep. It's not, it's not a Democrat Republican thing. No, when it gets more local like that, there's, there's not really partisan shit. It's just like, do you like this or that? Like, and, and yeah, pretty much. It's so weird. It's the weirdest thing to me is, is, you know, I've been doing this since I was 13, you know, I've never owned a car before. And, um, about you know, when I turned like 21 is when things got kind of hectic and more aggressive towards me as a, as a road user without a vehicle, you know, I, 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 it's, I just, it's, there's, something, there's something there where it's like, and it's like this, we've got this car culture ingrained in us for the last 70 years. They spent a lot of money on marketing, on mm -hmm. making sexy cars that look like rockets. They've, they've, they've built our environment for cars and now you've got this bike rider, young whippersnapper out there who isn't, you know, like, hey, you're not readily visible all the time, too. It's, it's uh, and you no, sort of not. like surprise people, you know, sometimes people get surprised. And of course, we all should be taking the lanes and be visible. But, uh, you know, I think that drivers sort of get shocked and then they're sort of like, well, that person's doing something that's not you know, American. I don't know. I've totally been, <laughs> I mean, I've been standing on a corner and I, I've had somebody in a big pickup drive by and I'm just standing there with my bike on the corner and he just yells out, go back to China. Like, like <laughs> what, what the fuck? Like, I'm like, what is you know, I'm China assuming he do with bikes. What I think it's like, a, I think he's basically, he's saying like, you're a communist for riding a bicycle, you know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Yeah. That's that, like, yes, I saw someone talking about how bikes were like left leftist lunacy or something that they were trying. Someone was advocating for bike lanes in some town in Texas. And like this, this Facebook page was like, no bike lanes. Like, we don't want this leftist lunacy in our town. And it's like, what? Over someone here, just wants to ride their bike to work, dude. Like, it's not that Over here, it's deal. more considered as a filthy capitalist thing to ride a bike by a lot of people. Really? Where, where are you? Montreal there's a lot uh, there's like a subset of people that would basically just get angry at you for riding a bike because they think oh you're some rich upper class kid that just rides a bike because he doesn't need to get places fast but wow. my bicycle is a fucking Walmart bike like it's the cheapest <laughs> piece of shit I could possibly get like <laughs> yeah well, you've made some I upgrades to it 
You made yeah, some I upgrades did. to that thing that are pretty nice, but you know. What upgrades <laughs> did you make? Well, I tires, brakes, chain, chain set. I added some mud guards. It's basically a proper fixed gear right now. I would call it a Tarko, Tarko cross bike. Basically, <laughs> it's kind of layers on layers on layers. Mm-hmm. A track bike, you know what it is, right? And a, and a cyclocross bike, you know what it is, right? So basically, a cross bike is a fusion between a track bike and a cyclocross bike. Basically, cyclocross tires on a track bike. But my bicycle is not a track bike. It's a Tark bike. A Tark bike is basically a really shitty track bike that's, that has components that don't make sense at all. So basically, I have complete lunacy on wheels. Uh-huh. It's also very flashy. It's, it's like like hype beasts ride the Tark bike. You know, yeah. it's very like flashy, extra looking bike. It's like it doesn't look fun to ride. Um, I'm trying to find this GT that we posted. John, it's it's it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> what what's? Uh, it just yeah, has like, the uh, thickest tips. That's all. Like it's just like the most ridiculous bike I've ever seen. Well, like, a lot of your. A lot of the stuff you post isn't real, right? No, uh, a lot of it is real. Some of it's Photoshop, but it's it's not like. Um, here's here's a totally not photoshopped photo. Of yeah, no, this is legit right here. A guy <laughs> taking a bong rip out of uh, handlebars. That's interesting. Like it's yeah. inside to the side of the bike. If you notice, if you look at it properly, it's kind of funny, honestly. If you ask me, that bong is about to break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that one too. And the caption is, "We're all living in 2020. This guy's in 3017." Yeah. Yeah. No, because that's that's a move, right? Oh, uh, that was inspired by. Um, yeah, I made a post uh, saying, "For every like I got, I would ride a mile," and and I got like. 450 likes on that post so now i'm doing like a bunch of bike rides for the next month until i accomplish that goal oh uh, you're not gonna do it all at once uh, i feel uh, i i cannot I do 400 purpose. miles yeah no, unfortunately i capped it at 420 uh, also because okay um, I'm, I'm changing to, uh, <laughs> I'm changing to angry. <laughs> go for it we need all the reacts we yeah. can get <laughs> yeah. that's fucked up man i feel ripped off <laughs> What else is on this page that I'm getting jacked for here? Um, I don't know. That's a free meme format. If you want it, that that fourth one, you can make whatever you want. <laughs> what is this right here? I was in drunk. Get out of it. I seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, is this is this a commentary on on uh, on the lack know? of accountability in, in yes the, in the road force? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like every time every time you read this is about, every excuse. Like, you read about like uh, a major crash uh happening what what gets in the body it's like was the cyclist wearing a helmet was the driver drunk if driver not drunk then you know the investigation continues well what caused this what happened you know if bicycle wasn't wearing helmet they deserved it you know like that's basically what our media covers these things you need to describe what you're showing don oh sorry i'm showing the get out of jail free card here um it's uh i guess this is from the monopoly game and it mm-hmm. shows the uh the capitalist what, what is, the capitalist he gets out of jail you know you can run somebody over kill them in a crosswalk and not go to jail Un- unreal that, that so, you can yeah. do that nor that's like normal life in los angeles you'll see that story mm-hmm. every every year you'll catch like a story or two 
like people getting killed in a crosswalk. I I guess I th- I would think that somewhere in like the Netherlands or some utopian society, like people are actually held accountable. But who knows? Well, yeah, strict liability law, right? Isn't that uh, but what it's I mean, do you go to jail if you kill somebody in a crosswalk in the Netherlands? I don't know. Probably. That's I the think idea. they do. Mm. I also think it happens a lot less often, and that's why they can actually enforce it. Right. Mm. Maybe that's true. That's so Nick, what's going on. You're in Portland, yeah. Nick? Uh, yeah, now I'm in Portland. Um, I've been out here for the past, like, just over a year now. Um, before that, I was in Los Angeles, and, and I oh. was growing up there since I was, like, four. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, I can definitely relate to, like, some of the crazy, crazy L.A. drivers and shit. Like, you know, I mean, one time I had a car just do a burnout at me because I didn't cross the street fast enough for him. Like, I mean, he's like, he had to plug <laughs> gas at me real quick. He's just like, skirt! And like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. I was in the street crossing you. Like, it, it, I don't even know. There wasn't even a rush hour either. It was like, yeah. totally chill. My oh, new no, favorite no. one is the, is the Tesla drivers that have a super silent car. There's a guy yep. on Sun, Sunset Boulevard that uh, loves sneaking up on you and passing you very close quietly and scaring the shit out of you yeah no there's some roads that i avoided in in los angeles and like sunset and sepulveda were those streets <laughs> i did not ride on those roads in fact i i you know you can only do so much in los angeles because the, the roads don't all go through um but i really did try to stay like off like the crazy roads out there just because I, I at some point i stopped being able to handle it and um which ultimately caused me to, to move to Portland, actually. It was, it was uh, trying to find some place a little more peaceful to ride my bike at. And have wow. you found it? Is it, is it that place? Uh, say that again? Is Portland the, the peaceful place to ride that you were looking for? Uh, it, you know, it's more peaceful. It's, a, it's an upgrade, that's for sure. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I want to check out, like, Vancouver, actually. Definitely interested in that. Um, that might be the next place I go. Is there a whole subculture around your you guys where you have all these terms for bikes, like the one Johanan said, the Trekko? Dark park bikes. Yeah, there is, but like I'm not quite as into it as as um, most other people are, because you know, I mean, I I've been, I haven't owned a car for my whole life, but I, I definitely was not like super into bicycles uh, when I first started. Uh, like my parents kind of forced me to start going to school on my bike and taking myself everywhere. And I just kind of did it. Um, and then I found skateboarding and that's what got me stoked on that sort of thing. And then once I came back to bikes, that's when I started applying like a lot of like the energy I had from skateboarding to bicycles and starting to get more into the culture and like learning how to fix my own bikes and stuff and, and all of that. So, so I'm kind of like, just now getting into the whole culture pool of, uh, of, of fixed gears and bicycles in general and stuff. Yeah. So I'm so not is, exactly is, the veteran that everyone thinks I am. <laughs> uh-oh. Yes. Um, this is a real bike lane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if, if uh, Gary's still with us, but we could show him this Shero with the line. That's an interesting, <laughs> interesting design here and use of yeah. Shero's. Tell us about it. Well, uh, you, you know, gotta, this, uh, yeah. We got a photo of a, of a Shero in the middle of the road, and there's a line in the middle of the Shero that goes all the way down the road to infinity. So, yeah, tell us about this. Yeah, oh, this is just some video I found on Twitter. I, I took a screenshot of it because it looks so funny. But 
basically it starts off as like a way too narrow bike lane already. And then like, I don't know, clearly some other engineer like took over across the road was like, we're not even going to remove this old shoulder line. We'll just paint a bike here and call that shoulder line a fucking bike lane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, we've all seen a lot of ridiculous stuff as far as bike infrastructure goes, whether it's like a one block long bike lane or, or, uh, or this, <laughs> um, even Sharrows by themselves without just painting a line for it is, is, is pretty ridiculous. If you ask me, it's, it's kind of, that's not actually bike infrastructure. That's just painting a bike on the road and calling it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still just a car lane, if you ask me. And so, you know, it's, it's like, um, you got to make fun of some of this ridiculous infrastructure so that like some people, so the energy out is out there to like show that it's ridiculous. Um, even like bike parking and stuff too. Like, like I feel like bad parking, bike parking needs to be called out always just because like we need to, we need to make sure that when we do build this stuff, that it's actually good infrastructure, that it's good, that's a good place for us to park our bikes, that you don't have to worry about like, um, like the, for example, I, be like having just your front wheel locked up someplace. We don't have to worry right, about those, that. Right, like, those stupid racks. Yeah, or, or you know, like especially the one you where you put the You know those weird square over? racks that don't allow you to and put in your wheel all the way or, 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 and that don't allow you to actually attach your bike properly. Those are annoying. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I always think it's me. All that. And, and maybe if we just make it seem as ridiculous and hilarious and comedic as possible, like you know, that's that's that'll that'll get the hammer in the wood, you know, so to speak. <laughs> all right. Well, let's Don. Can, let's let's have these guys check in again because it's. Uh, I want to hear more about this. I oh, yeah, I feel like I want, oh, you got one more. Uh, okay. Yeah, because I want to hear more about this subculture that. I think there is that this is the this is a peek into. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a subculture unless it's just you two. <laughs> Wait, are we playing bike talk bingo here? Oh, because I'm being awkward. <laughs> Somebody made a really funny insider bike talk bingo joke, and I think Nick just hit one of the cubes. I I hit one of the squares earlier when I you started did. talking about hypermiling. You also uh, talked about your. <laughs> you also talked about your your past glorious battles you right did i know i didn't so the bingo was a bingo card with things that regularly happen on bike talk like yeah one of them was awkward questions nick asks an awkward question (laughs) nice so if you were playing bike bike talk talk bingo i'll have to find that yeah oh we'll put it up on bike posting We'll oh yeah, dude. yeah we should we should i'll I'll post it up on the page for sure if if he doesn't i will (laughs) okay yeah. All right, we got a promise. <laughs> All right, guys, we, we appreciate you coming on and telling us about Bike Posting 1970. Give it a follow on Facebook. I did. There's some funny Thank shit you. in here for sure. So uh, we'll be looking for more posts. Thanks for coming on, you guys. Yeah, of course. Bye. It was a pleasure being on here. You guys have a good okay. one. Well, that was good. All right, so let's introduce our headlines. Hey, Bike Talk. It's your okay. weekly bike news from me, Taranik, from Have a Go. There's a huge bike boom and bike shortage in the U.S., The need for a public transportation alternative due to transit anxiety and the need for outdoor recreation and exercise has created a huge surge in sales of bikes and e-bikes. However, due to this surge in demand paired with a disrupted global supply chain due to COVID, the US is also seeing an acute shortage of two-wheelers with bike sales seeing triple-digit growth in sales. 
So this wouldn't be the greatest time to scrap thousands of bikes, right? Unfortunately, that's what Uber is doing. After handing off Jump, the electric bike sharing company it had purchased to Lime, Uber is now sending tens of thousands of the bright orange colored electric bikes to scrapyards. Open street and slow streets continue to spread in cities such as San Diego and Chicago, slowing down or banning cars from roads to give people more room to walk and bike safely. Strikingly, Montreal will add 327 kilometers of bicycle lanes and pedestrian lanes and close some streets to car traffic this summer. Here in LA, over 100 applications have been submitted for LA's Slow Streets program. And with reduced car traffic, celebrities are riding two wheels as well, from Christian Bale to Justin Bieber to LeBron James and family. With people anticipating using public transit less during the pandemic, Cities face either more car traffic and potential gridlock, or must find creative solutions. For instance, Wuhan in China has seen a doubling of cars on the road post-lockdowns. Luckily, many cities are planning a new normal by giving much more room for people to cycle safely. Mayor Anne Hidalgo says returning to a Paris dominated by cars is out of the question. Paris will create 650 kilometers of pop-up cycleways as lockdowns begins to ease. Seattle has made 20 miles of their temporary open streets permanent. Brussels and Milan both are creating over 20 miles of new bikeways. And the UK will start spending over two billion pounds in cycling investments to usher in a quote, once in a generation change to the way people travel in Britain, according to Britain's transportation secretary. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter for daily urbanism and micromobility news and updates. Our handle is at haveago. That was Taryn Egan. Have a go. Thanks for the headlines. Even though we're putting it at the end. It's called the headlines. Should we put it in the beginning? That's when headlines usually happen. Um, all right. That was Bike Talk live on KPFK live stream. Now on Zoom. It was, and nowhere near, nowhere near KPFK. We don't even go in. Does anybody go into the studio at KPFK? I don't I don't, can, we, I don't, can we start going back in now that they opened us up? Is, uh, is, it, is LA open? Can we go question. back? I don't know. Cause I like going in there, you know, and like mm -hmm. seeing all the people and getting yeah. a coffee, you know? Yeah, me too. Story all right. Well, we'll some, someday we'll get back to the KPFK studios and our dream of getting live on KPFK radio. Yeah. Well, look at the, I mean, now we got Facebook live, which we wouldn't have had at KPFK and we got zoom, you know? Right. Yeah. All we have is each other. All right. See you next time. All right. I rise in the morning and greet the day. Pull out the bike and I'm on my way. The transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Green in the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 